Chapter Thirty of Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Elizabeth Clett, Houston, Texas, June two thousand eight. Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, written by herself, by Harriet Jacobs, written under the pseudonym Linda Brent. Chapter Thirty, Northward Bound. I never could tell how we reached the wharf. My brain was all of a whirl, and my limbs tottered under me. At an appointed place we met my uncle Philip, who had started before us on a different route, that he might reach the wharf first, and give us timely warning if there was any danger. A rowboat was in readiness. As I was about to step in, I felt something pull me gently, and turning round, I saw Benny, looking pale and anxious. He whispered in my ear, "'I've been peeping into the doctor's window, and he's at home. Good-bye, mother. Don't cry. I'll come." He hastened away. I clasped the hand of my good uncle, to whom I owed so much, and of Peter, the brave, generous friend who had volunteered to run such terrible risks to secure my safety. To this day I remember how his bright face beamed with joy, when he told me he had discovered a safe method for me to escape. Yet that intelligent, enterprising, noble-hearted man was a chattel liable by the laws of a country that calls itself civilized, to be sold with horses and pigs. We parted in silence. Our hearts were all too full for words. Swiftly the boat glided over the water. After a while one of the sailors said, "'Don't be downhearted, madam. We'll take you safely to your husband, and—' I could not imagine what he meant. But I had presence of mind to think that it probably referred to something the captain had told him. So I thanked him and said I hoped we should have pleasant weather. When I entered the vessel the captain came forward to meet me. He was an elderly man with a pleasant countenance. He showed me to a little box of a cabin, where sat my friend Fanny. She started as if she had seen a spectre. She gazed on me in utter astonishment, and exclaimed, "'Linda! Can this be you? Or is it your ghost?' When we were locked in each other's arms my overwrought feelings could no longer be restrained. My sobs reached the ears of the captain, who came and very kindly reminded us that for his safety as well as our own it would be prudent for us not to attract any attention. He said that when there was a sail in sight he wished us to keep below, but at other times he had no objection to our being on deck. He assured us that he would keep a good lookout, and if we acted prudently he thought we should be in no danger. He had represented us as women going to meet our husbands in. We thanked him and promised to observe carefully all the directions he gave us. Fanny and I now talked by ourselves, low and quietly, in our little cabin. She told me of the suffering she had gone through in making her escape, and of her terrors while she was concealed in her mother's house. Above all, she dwelt on the agony of separation from all her children on that dreadful auction-day. She could scarcely credit me when I told her of the place where I had passed nearly seven years. "'We have the same sorrows,' said I. "'No,' replied she. "'You are going to see your children soon.' and there is no hope that I shall ever even hear from mine." The vessel was soon under way, but we made slow progress. The wind was against us. I should not have cared for this if we had been out of sight of the town, but until there were miles of water between us and our enemies, we were filled with constant apprehensions that the constables would come on board. Neither could I feel quite at ease with the captain and his men. I was an entire stranger to that class of people, and I had heard that sailors were rough and sometimes cruel. We were so completely in their power, that if they were bad men our situation would be dreadful. Now that the captain was paid for our passage, might he not be tempted to make more money by giving us up to those who claimed us as property? 
I was naturally of a confiding disposition, but slavery had made me suspicious of everybody. Fanny did not share my distrust of the captain or his men. She said she was afraid at first, but she had been on board three days while the vessel lay in the dock, and nobody had betrayed her, or treated her otherwise than kindly. The captain soon came to advise us to go on deck for fresh air. His friendly and respectful manner, combined with Fanny's testimony, reassured me, and we went with him. He placed us in a comfortable seat, and occasionally entered into conversation. He told us he was a southerner by birth, and had spent the greater part of his life in the slave states, and that he had recently lost a brother who traded in slaves. But, said he, it is a pitiable and degrading business, and I always felt ashamed to acknowledge my brother in connection with it. As we passed Snaky Swamp, he pointed to it, and said, There is a slave territory that defies all the laws. I thought of the terrible days I had spent there, and though it was not called Dismal Swamp, it made me feel very dismal as I looked at it. I shall never forget that night. The balmy air of spring was so refreshing. And how shall I describe my sensations when we were fairly sailing on Chesapeake Bay? Oh, the beautiful sunshine, the exhilarating breeze, and I could enjoy them without fear or restraint. I had never realized what grand things air and sunlight are till I had been deprived of them. Ten days after we left land we were approaching Philadelphia. The captain said we should arrive there in the night, but he thought we had better wait till morning and go on shore in broad daylight, as the best way to avoid suspicion. I replied, You know best, but will you stay on board and protect us? He saw that I was suspicious, and he said he was sorry, now that he had brought us to the end of our voyage, to find I had so little confidence in him. Ah, if he had ever been a slave, he would have known how difficult it was to trust a white man. He assured us that we might sleep through the night without fear, that he would take care we were not left unprotected. Be it said to the honour of this captain, southerner as he was, that if Fanny and I had been white ladies, and our passage lawfully engaged, he could not have treated us more respectfully. My intelligent friend Peter had rightly estimated the character of the man to whose honour he had entrusted us. The next morning I was on deck as soon as the day dawned. I called Fanny to see the sunrise, for the first time in our lives, on free soil. For such I then believed it to be. We watched the reddening sky, and saw the great orb come up slowly out of the water, as it seemed. Soon the waves began to sparkle, and everything caught the beautiful glow. Before us lay the city of strangers. We looked at each other, and the eyes of both were moistened with tears. We had escaped from slavery, and we supposed ourselves to be safe from the hunters. But we were alone in the world, and we had left dear ties behind us, ties cruelly sundered by the demon slavery. End of chapter 30